Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello and welcome to episode 171 with Joe McCormick. We are talking all about brevity and ironically, this was not the shortest episode, but it was shorter than some and absolutely vital in its content. And you're going to learn one, how being brief helps you focus, two, how to trim down information to what is essential, and three, three common mistakes when it comes to being brief. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we're referencing here, it's all at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep171. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I'd encourage you to check out some of our great stuff. One resource I've been using more and more myself lately is just that little magnifying glass search icon in the navigation menu bar. It's so cool with 170 episodes. We've now covered a lot of territory in the last just over a year. And with the magnifying glass, you can find all sorts of things because every conversation has been transcribed. So check that out. But first, let's hear about Joe. Joe McCormick is on a mission to help organizations master the art of the short story. An experienced marketing executive, successful entrepreneur and author, Joe is recognized for his work in narrative messaging and corporate storytelling. His book, Brief, Make a Bigger Impact by Saying Less, tackles the timelessness of the Less Is More mandate. He founded and serves as a managing director and president of the Sheffield Company, an award-winning boutique agency. A passionate leader, he started The Brief Lab, a subsidiary of Sheffield in 2013, after years dedicated to developing and delivering a unique curriculum on strategic narratives for U.S. Army Special Operations Command. He speaks at diverse industry and client forums on the topics of messaging, storytelling, change, and leadership. Now, here's Joe. Joe, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. It's great to join you. Well, among the many fun facts in your life, I'm intrigued by, you've got nine kids. Did that have something to do with your philosophy on brevity? I wish that it did. <laughs> Truth be told, I have a saying, which is like, it's, there's a time and a place for a long conversation. And those are the long conversations that I really enjoy. Oh, that's nice. That's good. So there's no emphasis on brevity there. You're just enjoying the ride. Yeah. I, when I was writing the book a few years back and my kids got wind of it, they immediately latched onto, they wanted to give it to their teachers. <laughs> and I'm like, well, if you want your grade point average to drop, you can certainly suggest it to them. It does become a topic of conversation from time to time. Um, when we do, we have a, a have in our family kind of have a dinner to talk about like your, the highs and lows of your days, which are really, it's a really nice way at the end of the day at dinner to, to get the, like the brief update from everybody about what's going on in their lives. So that's a little trick that we use that's been really popular. Oh, that is good. I, I like that when I'm facilitating sort of workshops or leadership things, it, it just feels good. You feel like you have a sense for what people are going through right now. Absolutely. Well, so can you start us off by sharing a little bit about, you've got a motto, which is sure enough, rather brief. Be better, be brief. Can you, I guess, elaborate on that? Yeah. I mean, when it comes to brevity, and I I always think that it's something that you could always be better at. Okay. It's not something that you're ever like, oh, I'm good at that. There's always areas of improvement. So that's the, the call to action is, you know, strive to be better at it. 
and you're never going to you know, achieve complete mastery. And it just keeps you always getting more and more in tune, more and more precise, more concise in the way you communicate. Well, so in terms of if you never will achieve complete mastery, it sounds like then you've got a clear definition of what you mean by brief. Could you share that with us? Yeah, I mean, people misinterpret brief to be just being concise or blunt, and it's really missing the mark. I define being brief as being a balance between being clear and then being concise. So the first thing, the most important is to be clear so that you're understood. And then concise, meaning you're trimming away other things that people just really don't need. So if it's something can take a half hour to explain and you can explain it in 20 minutes that you're trimming out that extra 10 minutes. So that's the working definition of the balance of clear and concise is, is what I define brief to be. Okay. So can you maybe lay out for us, do you have some of the top sort of advantages or benefits associated with having this brevity? Like, why is it so critical? It's really important now because yeah, it's really not about the person speaking or communicating. It's really about the person listening and absorbing. The world nowadays, and I think everybody feels this, is that you're really, we're reaching a point of hypersaturation where we're consuming so much information on a day-to-day basis it's almost like you're consuming everything, but you're retaining nothing. And I liken it to people are becoming a little bit deaf or certainly hard of hearing. So brevity is like an adaptive strategy because people just can't focus. They don't know what the important things to focus on. So they're just consuming information, but they don't necessarily focus or know how to focus on what's most important. So when people are communicating like to their boss or they're talking to a customer or they're giving an update to a key client, they just start talking. And then the person's like hearing every third word because they have struggled with focus. So it really is an adaptive strategy to help people focus more in an information age. So you're saying just by practicing being brief ourselves, will also increase our capacity to focus. Yeah. I mean, you're really, what you're doing is you're making it a point to focus yourself on the most important things. And then the people that you're talking to, to do the same. One of the things that when people, when you think about like the way people are educated, whether it's in high school, college, grad school, you're not really trained to be brief. Right. You know, legal briefs are things that are mottos, but I mean, the art of brevity is something which you just are expected to be good at, but you're not actually formally taught. And there's a lot of discipline that takes to be good at this because, you know, the impulse is to kind of share your knowledge, which, you know, certainly is important. But the world is just starving for people that can kind of get to the point and then frame things which are complex in simple ways, make things really, you know, pointed and easy and organized and flow so it's easy for people to follow along when there are, there are a lot of, honestly, a lot of other things that are competing for their attention at the same time. And, you know, you're not the only one that people are, are listening to at that point. So it becomes a really important skill, an essential skill, really, for professionals to achieve the goals that they want to achieve. All right. So can you maybe give us a little bit fuller background there? Now, the Brief Lab, I understand you started that out of work with a curriculum for the U.S. Army Special Operations Command. Can you tell us about some of your findings and putting that together and working with them? Yeah, I mean, almost six years ago, I started a consulting company in Chicago. I've been at it for a number of years. And I really, my mantra at the time or my work was to help executive teams develop and deliver a very concise message or a clear message. So it's like corporate narratives and things like that. And out of the blue, I get a call from the, the leaders of Special Operations Command at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and they said, we want you to develop a curriculum for us. 
And at the time, I wasn't doing any leadership development or training, certainly. So I was doing consulting work. They're like, we understand that, but we really need our people to be more precise when they're communicating and, and make their briefings, because that's what they communicate in the Army, and to make these briefings brief. So I went down there and I developed a curriculum, an experiential curriculum that would really help them take at times ridiculously complicated and lengthy topics and shrink them down into like three to five minute briefs where they would be able to go to high levels of State Department or Department of Defense and be able to brief people in significantly less time. And that was something that they really were keen on doing. And I was in the right place at the right time. And I developed that curriculum for them. And the book became the byproduct of that work with them. Well, that's great. Well, so then can you maybe open us up and share a little bit about kind of the challenges, the hangups that prevent things from getting brief? You have some nice alliteration, starting with the letter I, information, inundation, etc. Can yeah. you walk through a bit of that? I think one of the key things for people when they think about learning how to be better at this is the recognition that there's a temptation to say everything. And you have to create a system for how to organize information, which makes it easier for people to follow along. So we developed a system, which are brief maps, they're visual outlines, and they follow a formula where each of the letters brief spell out a certain part of the message. So the first B was like, okay, what's the background? Oftentimes you need context. In the absence of context, people get confused easily. So give me a, bit, a little bit of context. And the, the R would stand for the reason. Well, why are you telling me this right now? Mm-hmm. You know, why is this important? Why, why should I care? The I is sort of like, what is the information or the instruction or the insight, maybe the body of the information that you're giving them? The E stands for the ending, which is often the hardest part. People get on a roll and they don't know how to end. And they talk right through the ending and they start a new beginning and then the whole thing goes you know, sideways. And then the F stands for a follow-up or a follow-on, which is what do you want the audience to do once you're done? Do you want them asking the question? Do you want them to make a decision? Would you like them to do more research? Like what is the expected outcome? How do you know if you were clear? So we make that system and we lay that out on a mind map or visual outline so that people have a way of presenting the information or sharing it that makes it very easy to consume. So it's a method of preparation, which becomes very, very effective for taking mounds of information and and putting it into a format that's easy for people to follow. Okay. And so now when you say ending, can you share a little bit there? It's like you just want to have thought through in advance. What's the end? When am I done? Yeah. I mean, think of it like when you go to a comedy club or you listen to a good joke. I mean, you know that you're done when you hit the punchline. Yeah. And at the end of the joke, people laugh. Yes. Because that's the whole point, right? So you get to the, like, it's leading you somewhere. One of the keys of being brief is saying nothing. It's being, you know, clear and concise. But it really is, you've got to be clear. When you stop talking, somebody can start talking or respond. And I say that when people get good at this, it actually starts conversations because People can respond or ask a question or lean in a bit. And the ending, in the absence of a good ending, people just hug the mic the whole time. And that's never good. You always want to have it be balanced where people are in conversations and have a chance to ask a question or respond or tell you what what they're thinking. Oh, I understand what you're saying now. I have had those encounters in which it's someone just sort of stops talking and it's unclear. It's like, is that the end or are you just breathing right now? (laughs) And so... What are some of the maybe indicators or tricks or best practices for ending? I think part of it, I think, is just intonation. Like, you know, sometimes that alone could say, I'm done or thank you. Or what are some other approaches? I think one of the things is just finish the thought that would require or might prompt a response. All right. And people in the best conversations, people do this. 
So it's nothing new, but it's something that people overlook because they're not aware of, hey, there's two people talking here. Or I'm sending this email and I'm writing it, but like, how are they going to respond to it? So the ending is the prompt for a response. You know, one of them is, so what do you think? Or do you have any questions? Or you think of some way of phrasing it where a person would be able to have a role of, of responding and make it respectful for them. So it's like, hey, listen, I, my intention is to have this conversational, not have it become a monologue. And I think a lot of people miss that. All right. Very nice. And so now I'm thinking, it's funny, I just did a meeting agenda recently, and there were times in which it felt like some segments of the agenda were just sort of informing, like this is something that happened. This is something that you should know. And so how do you think about that when it comes to meetings, agendas, and informing? Most people go into meetings and the agendas are broken. That people haven't done the preparation in advance about the meeting itself and who's there and what are they going to discuss. It's usually very broken or at least it's not prepared well. One of the things that I, if it's going to be an information exchange, that's fine. If it's going to be a conversation, you need to set some rules. I've even seen people use things like talking sticks, where if you've got a bunch of people in a room, you know, spread the time up so nobody dominates the conversation is one trick I've seen that's pretty effective. But having a good printed agenda, like, okay, this is what we're talking about. This is why we need to talk about it. Here's the things we're going to talk about. Um, to put some lanes to it so you know if you've gone off the highway. And I think oftentimes people, those agendas are just absent, or if nothing else, it's not, they're not well designed for you know, really good conversations to ensue. Information exchanges to your point. So you're saying that the meeting agenda itself will kind of cover off each of those components of brief, B-R-I-E-F. Yeah, I mean, if you think about any good meeting, okay, what's the meeting about? That's the first thing. So in this brief map that we've designed, it's like that would be the center box. And then is there any background that people need to know before the meeting? That might be pre-read. You know, the relevance, why are we meeting? Why is this important we do this now? That needs to be clearly stated. What's the information or the exchange that needs to be covered, some topics for discussion? And then, you know, the ending, what do we need to end it by? And then some follow-up. I think in the absence of that, there's no formula for it. So people just, they mistake talking for exchanging information, but there's no structure to it. So the thing can be, you know, you're hearing people talk, but it's like it's not leading to insider action. And, you know, obviously the best meetings are the ones that are going to produce traction and, and progress. So, we, I mean, everybody's experienced this when you sit in rooms and you just, you're saying everything, but nothing's actually moving anything forward. Those questions, that preparation, a lot of times hasn't even been done. I hear you. Well, could you maybe give us an example to sort of make this all come to life in terms of before, not so brief, not so great, and after, you know, something that you've been involved with? Yeah, I mean, there's, I think one of the mistakes that people make when they go to meetings is they kind of round up, you know, like, well, let's have a meeting for a half hour, let's talk for an hour. That's the first mistake is allotting yourself sort of a, a chunk of time that you're just guessing what you need. And I've seen, I had a, I had a conversation actually it was with one of the guys in the special operations community. He had a meeting with, it was a very important meeting for a decision. And he clearly stated it up front, like he needed a decision coming out of the meeting. But his mistake was he prepared this whole thing where he was going to, in this meeting, try to convince somebody to do something. And it was really around persuading this person to change his mind. But I asked him, he asked me to help him prepare for this meeting. And I asked him, I said, why are you trying to convince him? Do you know if he thinks it's a bad idea? <laughs> and he stopped. He's like, no, I'm just assuming that I have to convince him. And I'm like, well, 
sometimes you're pushing on an open door. And like, how much time are you going to spend? He's like, well, I think it's going to take us an hour. I'm like, why would it take you that long? Could you give them a shorter summary up front? You know what I mean? And, and do it that way. So I actually met with him a couple weeks ago. And we have an office down in, in North Carolina, Pinehurst, North Carolina. We have one in Chicago, a brief lab in North Carolina and one in Chicago. And I saw him a couple weeks ago. And he's like, it was the shortest meeting he's ever had. It was like 10 minutes. Beautiful. He's like, he talked up front. He prepared, which is one of the things you always want to do. When you talk about the tendencies, people don't prepare. He took some time to prepare. Okay, what am I talking about? Why is it important? What do I want to share? He did that. He really trimmed and it took about three or four minutes. And then they just worked out the details and the thing was done in you know 10, maybe 15 minutes tops. And he's like, he'd done it the other way. That meeting would have been a little bit more confrontational, lasted a lot longer. And he probably wouldn't have gotten the ass. Okay, excellent. Well, talk to us a little bit about the trimming process. Like what are some things that often can go? Are you see time and time again are shared and they don't need to be shared? One of the hardest parts is trimming. Like what's essential versus what's less essential. So if you think of like telling somebody a story, if you think about like the short version of the story, you'll tend to leave out the details that are like a little bit more color or like the dates and and things that are like important, but they're not that important. So trimming is like, the way I liken it is the analogy is like packing a suitcase on a trip. I can't tell you what to put in and what to leave out unless I tell you where you're going. All right. So the point of like when I'm communicating is the first thing it starts with, what do you say? And then from that, I can tell you what should stay and what should go. Like, is that absolutely essential? And I think the biggest mistake that people have is they say things that they like to say, but the person doesn't need to hear. Okay. And it's like, if you're treading water, it's like handing somebody a brick. <laughs> well, you know, if you don't trim, it's like handing them a cinder block. You're like, well, I'm just getting it out of my hands and you can figure it out. Well, you know, like all you just did is just make them drown and they're already drowning. So I think I look at trimming as respecting the peril of how people are just drowning in information. And we come along and we fill an already filled glass or nearly filled glass. So it's out of respect more than anything. And it's hard to do because people can't resist saying the extra thing. Now you say they want to say it. I'm intrigued. Is it just because it makes them look good or, or what are those motivators? Like why do they want to say more? Yeah, there's a lot of different reasons. It was something that I really, I thought long and hard about when I was writing the brief. There's reasons why people struggle with it. When, sometimes people just get comfortable. Comfortable. Sometimes they get overconfident. They want to show how smart they are. Some people just lack compassion for people. They just, it's all about them. There's a number of different reasons why people do. There's not one in particular, but the common one is that they don't necessarily respect how difficult it is for the person they're talking to, to absorb and consume what they're saying. So they just, it's kind of like when you read something, which is really long and you're like, why didn't you take time to edit that down? And there's the famous saying, which is, you know, I would have written you a shorter letter if I had more time. Right. It takes discipline to do this. I mean, this is something that you can be very, very good at if you have discipline. If you lack discipline, everything tends to be a little bit long. And that's why the motto is be better, be brief, is you can always tighten. You can always be a little bit better when it comes to this. Well, and so in executing that trimming, do you have any additional kind of guidelines? I think that's great in terms of what's absolutely essential, what must they hear versus do I want to say? And are there any other kind of you know rules of thumb or guidelines to trim well? Yeah, I think I had a conversation with one of the former, it was a top chief creative officer at McDonald's. This woman is brilliant. 
she came up with I'm loving it. Oh, yeah. That was her, you know, so talk about an expression of real great clarity that says everything, but it's in very, very few words. And she would tell me when we're talking about this need to be clear and concise that she would go to meetings and say, what's the singular most important thing I need to walk away from this meeting with? That's one way of trimming. So like all the things I need to know, what's the, what do I really need to walk away with? That's one way of trimming. Mm-hmm. Asking that, just be brutally honest with what is the audience absolutely the most important thing that they need to know. And then another way of looking at trimming is just imagine like level of detail, like level one detail, level two detail, level three detail. And level one detail, I would define as the most essential information and the shortest explanation. So this would be like the movie trailer. All right. And and if you do that, it looks something like this. All right. In 30 seconds, explain to me. You you give yourself a time limit or even a word limit. In 15 words or less, summarize what I'm trying to say. And it's funny because when I was talking to this woman at McDonald's, she said, (laughs) when people struggle with that, it's often an indication it's a bad idea. Okay. It's not a guarantee that it's a bad idea. It's an early indication that it's a bad idea. So if you can't, like Einstein said, like you don't understand something well unless you can explain it simply. So giving yourself a word count or a time constraint is a way of ensuring it's clear. Yes. And that rigorous trimming is a way for you to test. If I got into an elevator or if I got into a conversation by chance with a person and I had to sum it up, had a chance to prepare what would I say? And you would, there's a lot you would leave out and what you're left with is what you've trimmed. And that, and that discipline to do that for a lot of people is what makes them stand out or makes them stand, you know, in a crowd. Yes. Speak like that or communicate like that present. And you know, it's interesting, I guess when I ask other people the questions along these lines to arrive at this brevity, it's funny. I feel (laughs) I guess, I don't know, I'm such a feeler. I feel bad because it's like, oh, I'm putting you on the spot and you're actually not ready. But at the same time, I kind of need to know the brevity in terms of what is success for this component of the agenda. And it's sort of like, I feel bad because I've put them on the spot and they often don't know and often can't deliver the brief thing that I'm asking for. And so I don't know, help me out. How should I cope with that? No, you shouldn't feel bad. I mean, the thing is, thank you. (laughs) And your show is about like, you know, how to be awesome, right? So how do you take your game to another level? I tell people, this is an essential skill that people that are in positions of authority that make things happen are desperately looking for. And when they find it, they're really noticing. Okay. And when you can deliver that and that expectation it's so rare. It's a rare skill. And when people do it, the people that you want to connect with, they notice. And when you can't, they also notice. <laughs> and the, there's three mistakes that I found in my experience that people have when they get them in trouble. And one is they overexplain. So they tell you, it's like, think of a glass that's three quarter full. They keep on pouring when the glasses reach the top. Okay. So you have to realize that your audience does not have an infinite attention span. You know? It's maybe 10 seconds, 30, however long they can focus, right? So really, you have to honor that. That's the first thing they were explain. The second thing is they don't prepare enough. And then they think, well, it's going to take me forever. Something is better than nothing. So when you ask them, like, so what do you think? They have a hard time because they haven't prepared. And they, and you know, 
give me five minutes, give me two minutes. Like, you know, you gotta, you can't just show up empty handed. You gotta prepare. And the third thing is they don't really frame up what the point is or what the point they're trying to make or their point of view is. And I, and I liken that to a headline, like, give me the headline first. And when you over explain, you don't prepare and you don't have a point and you mix all those things together, it's long and it's confusing. And they think that the more they talk, it's going to get clearer and it doesn't because people can't hear like that. And they start tuning out over time or they call it in and out listening where they're sort of sort of listening to you, but they're start multitasking and then you've lost them. But you, the good news, you can correct it. You can learn. And that's why I wrote the book is you can teach people how to do this if they have discipline and they take the time and they want to play at a high level. Okay. Well, so now I want to follow up on that piece in terms of the headline first. And, you know, I have learned this and taught this as a you know former strategy consultant with your slide headlines, answer first, answer first, hypothesis driven, all that stuff. And so we had an interesting chat back in episode 136 with Ted Frank of Backstory Studios. And he said that often people go with the answer first approach because folks are tired of being bored, <laughs> but would really compare tell them in an exciting way is if there were a degree of tension and story arc, which is sort of like the opposite of answer first, because it's sort of like you got your spoiler right up front. You know, where do you come out on this controversy? Where you come out is actually the, the secret is, because I teach this in our courses, the secret in constructing a good headline is you steal a page from journalism. There's characteristics of good headlines. One is the brief. So they tend to be short. There's no magic word count, but, you know, it's three to six, three to eight words, 10 words, or something like that. So they're concise. They create some level of intrigue where you need to hear more, but you're not giving it all away. Right. So like you're like, yeah, I get. What. And then the third thing is you, it's, it really speaks to what you're talking about. So, I mean, the example I'll give you, I mean, we practice this all the time. And it's funny because when you're sitting in a room, let's say you're presenting, the presenter we'll make an opening statement about what we're talking about. And people often confuse that for the topic. Well, topics don't necessarily create intrigue or interest. Okay. Topics say what you're talking about. So that's only one of the characteristics. It says what you're saying. That's good. It's brief, but it doesn't create an interest or intrigue. So there, there was a session I was in. It was actually really funny. We give homework assignment in this two-day course with special operations. And between the first and the second day, I have the guys provide a brief summary of the course to somebody, which is, and it's got to provoke interest. So they've got to be able to learn all the tools and they do that. And I tell them to have a conversation with somebody, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes where they have to actively listen to somebody. And it's like being interested and asking questions and things like that. And I just tell them to kind of note where their mind's drifting and what are they hearing and can they stay focused? Because oftentimes they have to like be able to summarize things that they hear. And if you're not a good listener, you can't do that. So the next day they come back, and we do a headlining exercise. And the headlining exercise is really, it's pretty simple, actually. I just say, think about what you did over for your homework and then answer this question in a headline. How was the homework? And I'm like, take five minutes to do that. And it's got to be brief. It's got to create interest. And then, you know, it's got to tell you what really speak to what happened. So this, I go around the room and, and this one guy in Special Forces, I'm like, so Brian, how's the homework? And he says, I discovered that I really don't care about people. Ooh. <laughs> It hits those three criteria. It was brief. The word count was less than 10 words. It created interest and it really spoke to what he was talking about. So it hit those three things and he didn't give the whole thing away because you needed to hear the brief. And he gave the brief and it was hysterical because he was talking to somebody and 
he's like, I'm doing the homework like you told me to do. And he's like, I gave me some background and I'm not married. I'm single and I, I have no roommates. So I had a, I literally had to go out to dinner and I saw somebody at the bar and I just, there was a guy at the bar having a beer and I sat next to him and I struck up a conversation with the guy. And this is a true story. And he's like, I'm listening to this guy and I'm asking him a lot of questions and I'm being interested and I'm actively listening. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I really, he's like, the guy was a mechanic and he worked on sports cars and he's telling me all about being a mechanic. I'm asking questions. And in his mind, he's like, I really don't care about mechanics and cars and, but I'm doing the homework and I care about my homework. And then he's like, right in the middle of the conversation, I'm like, he's like, I really don't care about mechanics or people in general. <laughs> And it was a breakthrough for him because he's like, my listening was so poor. He's like, I never really, I just tune people up. Oh, yeah. So, but the headline really was what worked for him. And it took him, I tell people, maximum three minutes, minimum a minute. And people tell me they don't have time for it. I'm like, how do you not have two minutes to do this? Two minutes of thinking? Or what's the two minutes? Yeah, thinking about a headline. Just think about a headline. Okay. Yeah. Before you want to, like meeting. This is one of the things that I see time and time again that many people listening right now will happen when they have bosses or clients, people ask what's seemingly a harmless question, like, how's it going? What's new? What they're really looking for is progress. Hmm. But the way the question's framed is like, oh, it's fine. And then the person who's asking the question is like, that's not what I was looking for. Yes, <laughs> that is a great distinction. <laughs> they're looking for progress. And they're like, how's it going? Good. You're like, good's not a headline. Yes. Oh, that's so good. Imagine like they're on a beach and they've got one of those devices that are looking for like metal detectors and they're detecting metal. In this case, the metal is your progress. Well, the headline is the indicator of progress. And if you don't give them a headline, they're like, I didn't find anything, which means that you're not as useful as I thought you were, which I mean, the thing can go downhill from there. So wow. having a in back pocket could be like, how's the things going? I'm really excited about the progress I'm making. I'm a little bit ahead of schedule or I've got some really good insights on what's going to happen in the next quarter. Oh, It takes a bit of time to do it and you win every time. Oh, Joe, that is so brilliant because I think in the grand scheme of how impressions are formed versus who's high potential, who's a rock star and who's not, I think that how's it going is asked so frequently and that's just an opportunity and we're leaving money on the table to... Always, <laughs> in special operations, they have um, a saying, which is, Selection is an ongoing process. Yeah. Meaning get fired at any time. None of the people that I work with think that they're there forever. They always think that they're going to get fired because they're always showing up with their A game. Now, what motivates me to do this work and teach people how to do this is if you're a rock star and you don't do this, people don't think you're a rock star. Right. And you maybe have the talent of a rock star, but you're missing these elements which are in desperate need, which is frame it, lead with it, be intentional. About it. And when you do it, it works. And people, you get credit for the work that you've done. And that's often, often, often missing, you know, in business today. And I can just imagine, like, it takes a minute or two to think about, but you could do that, you know, while you're walking to and from the bathroom, <laughs> just whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was a story that a guy that I was working with who had to brief, he had to brief the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. All right. So at the time, this was General Martin Dempsey. He was a four-star general. He reported to the president. So this guy, I'm working with his team, and I had a, a follow-on course workshop with him. And I said, okay, how's it going? And he goes, exceptional. 
That was his one word headline. And I'm like, <laughs> tell me more. He says, well, I had to brief the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I'm like, what happened? He says, I was in this location. He was incredibly busy. He had no time on his calendar. His chief of staff told me so. And he's like, but I really need to speak to him. It's urgent. And he's like, the only time he can speak to you is when he leaves this ne- his next appointment and he walks to the front of the building, which is about a three-minute walk. And the guy's like, I'll take it. So he's like, I briefed him in three minutes and I got exactly what I needed because he prepared, he had a point, he led with it up front, told him why he needed to talk to him. And he's like, at the end, he got exactly what he needed. He's like, I would not have done that had I not done the work, which is the methodology of preparing and the headlining and trimming. And he's like, I would have needed a half hour. And oftentimes you don't have it. Right. It's three minutes or nothing or five minutes or nothing. So that for me was a, very motivating to like, all right, there's a lot of room for people to be able to elevate their game to even higher levels. And extraordinary, it is brief and it is intriguing. It's like, oh, tell me more. And it is the answer. So you're not sacrificing tension to offer the answer up front. So thank you for resolving that in my head. Yeah, it's fun to see people that are not creative who think that, oh, you have to be super creative to do this. You don't. You just have to take time to think through it. Like, is it brief? Is it interesting or a little bit intriguing? And does it speak to what I'm talking about? And if it does those three things, you're good. Okay. Well, Joe, tell us, do you have any other quick tips or tricks or tactics you'd like to share before we hear about some of your favorite things? Yeah, I think one of the things that I like to tell people is that, you know, it's really important for professionals to really obsess about, almost obsess about how difficult it is for people to focus. And I think the only way people will start to get good and really be motivated to be good at being brief and concise and clear is that they really feel a deeper compassion with how hard it is for their coworkers, for people nowadays to really focus their attention and how much information they consume. I think the analogy I use is, is like, if I told you that you were talking to somebody that was slightly hard of hearing, what would you do differently? Mm. And people immediately are like, well, if they were slightly hard of hearing, I'd probably talk a little bit louder. I might slow it down a little bit and I might use some more visuals. And I'm like, okay, well, those are three very specific things you do right away. But what if I told you that they had a hard time focusing? What would you do differently? And they're like, uh, I'm like, everybody nowadays, because they consume so much information, has a hard time focusing. They don't have enough time and they don't have enough mental bandwidth. You need to be convinced that focus is their biggest issue. And your job is to make it easier for them to focus. And what you do when you're clear, when you're more concise, is you help hone their attention on what's the most important and away from the things that are less important. And that when you do that, you're helping them. And that for me is like the biggest thing is brief is not just like, oh, it's like, just don't say anything. It's like really an adaptive strategy to help people that are really, quite honestly, just buried. Perfect. Oh, Joe, thank you so much. Now, can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Well, I don't want to quote myself because that would be absurd, but there's a quote that I use in my class that I kind of came up through over the time. And the quote is, it's kind of a cautionary quote, which is, tell me, don't sell me. And the point behind that is people are often not as effective because they're trying to convince people and they really should just be informing or explaining something. And people don't want to listen to people that are like really pushy and overly persuasive and salesy. But if you just tell them they don't sell them, I think that's a quote, which I think helps people a lot. Okay. And how about a favorite study or bit of research? There's one about that came out a couple of years ago. It just has to do with shrinking attention spans. It's really caught my mind. Microsoft just re came up with it again. The people's attention spans are dropping, you know, from like 
12 seconds to eight seconds. And there were some studies there, which is pretty alarming. Sustained attention is really in peril right now. That was kind of noteworthy for me. Well, now, Joe, maybe you could set this straight once and for all. Okay, these attention span studies, 12 seconds, eight seconds, goldfish comparisons. So what exactly is that measuring? And how is it like, I guess the TED Talk people have landed on 18 minutes as a magic number. The thing about it is there was an article recently written in the Wall Street Journal about that. The big picture point is people's ability to focus is declining. That's the bigger idea. Actually, if you measure by if it's eight seconds or 12 or 15 or a minute, that's less important than the fact that it's declining. And I've, I've worked with thousands of people on this, whether public speaking or workshops or, or what have you. I've not met a person who thinks that's increasing. So the issue is the brain's ability to focus as it consumes more and more information and is almost addicted to information loses its ability to sustain focus over time. And that's the bigger takeaway. Okay, thank you. Goldfish probably have better folks than people, <laughs> but who does that job is, it begs another question. <laughs> that's good. And how about a favorite book? I read a book recently that I loved, and it's called Isaac's Storm by Eric Larson. It's a great story of a meteorologist, 1900 in Galveston, Texas, who failed to predict a Category 5 hurricane. Oh. It was amazingly told. He was the same writer that wrote The Devil in the White City and about the sinking of the Lusitania, but it's called Isaac's Storm, and it's just a really moving story of the advent of meteorology and technology, but how through a whole series of missteps, he just missed it. And a lot of people died, a couple thousand people died in Galveston. Galveston at the time was like one of the biggest ports in the United States. And now it's a shadow of its former self, but it's a, it was a really great historical novel. Hmm. And how about a favorite tool, something that helps you flourish at work? An egg timer. Yeah? Believe it or not, yeah. I have one on my desk and it measures, you know, a minute. And I will put myself on a task where I'm like, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, all right, I'll just flip it over and I'll just do that. It's very relaxing to just kind of like, it's just a sand dial, like a sand dial egg timer. Okay. That's a minute long and I have it on my desk and I use it all the time. It's just, a, it's a fun little tool to just very old school way of the moving of time through the, the dropping of sand. Well, tell me what sorts of things are you doing for one minute? Writing notes from calls, brainstorming topics for podcasts and blogs. <laughs> I'm a very like, uh, I think in spurts, my best thinking kind of comes in short spurts. And then what I do is I come back to it. And I kind of, I'm really big on anchoring and minimalism, like of an idea, core idea. And I play with it like that. It for me to work long periods of time is harder for me to do. And could you share, is there a particular nugget or articulation of your message that seems to really connect and resonate with folks, nodding their heads, taking notes, et cetera? I think the be brief. I think that when people hear the book, it just the concept of being brief, it's almost like it sounds like relief. Mm. <laughs> it rhymes. Yeah, it does. It's like people feel like this is something that would make their lives so much better if people around them were better at this and could excel at this. And I, it, what was really interesting is when I, I, to be completely frank, I this is not a book that I've been thinking like my whole life about. I really, I was in a place in my life where it needed to be written. And when I pitched the idea to Wiley, I was really quite surprised that nobody had written the book yet. Mm. So I spent a year in it. When it came out, it really resonated with people. And it's like, this is something that people need to be good at. And it just continually motivates me to, to do the work and to lead people through this at the brief level. Okay. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? We have a website called thebrieflab.com. And we have 
blog articles that come out like once or twice a month. We have a podcast called Just Saying. We have some insights. We have tools for people to download. You can download two free chapters. I mean, certainly reading the book, it links to it on the site. One of the things that we're doing quite a bit of now is working in small teams. And I found that on the site, we have an online bootcamp, which is a, a blended learning series of webinars and video exercises where small teams of professionals and organizations can learn how to be better at this through very practical, fun exercise. And we do those with teams all over the place. But a lot of that information is right there at thebrieflab.com. Okay. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for those seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah. When you're really being clear, don't try to be clearer. Okay. You hear it sometimes with people and they're saying, oh, one more thing. Just because you think it doesn't mean you have to say it. Leaving something out will give a person the space and the time to be able to respond and say something. And that may be the beginning of a long, meaningful conversation. Okay. Well, Joe, thank you for sharing these tidbits. Very valuable. And I wish you lots of luck with Sheffield and the Brief Lab and all you're up to. Wonderful. Pete, thanks so much for your time. I really enjoyed Joe's perspective on the sand timer, actually. In fact, I bought one myself and I'm grabbing it now that you can see it. It's a podcast, but nor can you hear the sands rolling through. But it's kind of cool to just have one minute of something. And often I'll take that one minute to do just nothing and just stare at the sand and breathe, turn off my monitor or turn the computer to sleep and just unplug for just a moment to then replug and have a bit more rejuvenation and energy and focus with a quick reset. And so that's been kind of fun. I got it on Etsy, but had to replace it with another little insert because the Etsy one actually was not accurate at all to one minute. So I bought a little teacher's kit and then used it. And it's so ironic that I'm not being very brief at all in describing the sand thing, but I found that cool as well as all those pieces of brevity in terms of thinking just one sentence, if I can condense this or one minute of expression, those forced condensations have really aided me as I'm putting out an email or just trying to stop and pause and think, what am I really trying to say here? So again, if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcripts or the links to items referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep171. And I hope you'll hit subscribe so you'll catch our next guest. It is Mustafa Hamwi. He is the passion guy. Talking passion, passion, passion with a healthy dose of practicality at the same time. So I hope to catch you there and peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 